Howdy y'all, welcome back to my podcast. I'm Nate Bahuniak and today I'm going to be telling my personal thoughts and feelings about my top 10 favorites of 2020. Truth be told, I haven't seen a lot of films last year, so for obvious reasons, so a lot of movies were postponed as a result will not be a part of this list. I was hoping to see movies like Nomadland, Minari, or Another Round last year, but it was sadly dismissed for 2021. I think this might be one of the lists I might come back to to refresh and come full circle with other movies, but until then, <clears throat> here are my top 10 movies of 2020. But before I begin, I want to start with a brief few honorable mentions. First off, Bad Education was a really great movie with some good performances from Allison Janney and Hugh Jackman. Uh, it had a great retrospection of school administrators as a whole solid direction, and a really compelling story. If it weren't for the extremely slow pace, then this film would be a top tier for sure. <clears throat> Netflix's The Social Dilemma was a neat documentary about something I didn't really care for, social media, and how it affects society now that we're living in it. But if it wasn't for that buzzkill plot story, then it wouldn't be as low as I put it. Fiddy's of Ferb, the movie Candace Against the Universe was shockingly a spectacular movie with some nostalgic warmth, funny jokes, and that only a Phineas and Ferb medium can create. Uh, shocking enough, Borat 2 was a hilarious return to our beloved Kazakhstan reporter with some really hilarious jokes, a kind of actually investing story, and probably the biggest plot twist I've ever seen this year. Uncle Frank was a heartwarming film, Birds of Prey was colorful and shockingly good, and One Night in Miami was a bit boring and dull in the first half about the way the film presents itself, then gets into high gear with some neat shock compositions, writing, and performances. Now, with all that being said, let's get started. <clears throat> Number 10. The Gentleman. After making the train wreck embarrassment that is Aladdin 2019, I was hoping Guy Ritchie would come back with another exceptional movie like Snatch. And turns out, he really did last year, with his film The Gentleman, and it was amazing! <clears throat> a lot of people thought this film was a lot slow, dull, and convoluted, but to that I say, sh shut up, you're dull and convoluted. I found this film really entertaining, especially with the characters and their interactions. The, char the crazy hijinks and wild pace made for a very entertaining film on the edge of the seat. Richie's direction is never too boring or tiring, it just reeks with passion all over it, mainly in the editing and story structure. But I was more into McConaughey and Grant's story more than I did with the other characters because I found them more interesting and the others were just kind of tedious and boring. The story is a tad bit convoluted and leaves me with a lot of unanswered questions, but honestly, this film is already great in its own way. Guy Ritchie came back with a movie that is super criminally underrated of, from 2020 and I highly recommend watching it. 8 out of 10, check it out. Number 9, First Cow. If there's one movie that I would say in one word simplicity, it had to be First Cow. On the surface, the film is, you ought to think about it as a bit dumb, weird story to make in the film, but somehow it works. 
I was really invested with the simple nature as the film particularly is with the story. The whole story is about these two American immigrants secretly getting milk from a rich dude's cow to make delicious food, and that's it. But how the film is directed, written, and executed, First Cow is just a cute while also a bit slow film. It's everything I look for into a simple film, and so much more. Nothing really more to say about it, just what a cute and simple movie that I really liked. Number 8. My Rainey's Black Bottom My Rainey's Black Bottom was a very captivating and intriguing movie. Chances are you probably heard about Chadwick Boseman's electrifying performance. He delivers such a committed and heartfelt act that it just feels as if it was supposed to be his last act, his magnum opus to never be topped. May so rest in peace. Besides his great performance, the film feels as if it accomplished so much in such little time. I got really invested with nearly every word the characters spoke from their uh, screenplay, from the mundane dialogue to the powerful and genuine phrases and expressions. Even though this film has a Broadway play aesthetic, this film still feels cinematic in the way the film's cinematography and editing help us lens us and immerses us to these characters and their struggles. And it also leads to such a gut punch of an ending for how it all earns in the end. Personally, I think this film sometimes forces the emotions and doesn't play it out as natural in transition. Plus, it didn't give me a greater impact as much of these films up on the list. But even then, this film is still really great with some committed performances, strong direction, clever writing, and only brought down with some forced emotional beats and literal stage presence. Number 6. Boy State Out of all the things that 2020 introduced to me in a different perspective, documentaries had to be one of the top contenders. And this year had some damn great doc documentaries, let me tell you. But out of all of them, Boy State was easily the best one thus far. Uh, I haven't seen Feel Goods, man. Uh, I've heard it's great, but I haven't seen it. I'll check it out later. It might be better. Uh, I'm sorry. But anyways, Boy State was a very captivating film all about these Texas high schoolers participating a couple of weeks, being these state government officials, and two teams, nationalist versus federalist, try to get the highest position, the governor. Yeah, this film was everything I expected this film to be. These immature and annoying teens trying to be politics. But it also felt sort of subversive in my opinion. The film had a cool resemblance about how politics can divide friends and turn against each other doing that, due to their different ideals. It was also very compelling. I really liked a lot of characters to boot off. I loved Steven and his struggle to become governor. He was amazing. But this film really got on my nerves with the Federalist side. Most of the members were very annoying and egotistical, that, is, that it was hard to side with them. However, the Nationalists were also a bit of stubborn hotheads, but at least they respected at least they respected and took their jobs very seriously, making for a very tedious ending in my opinion. But truth be told, this is a very good documentary that I could go and 
watch anytime I want. It's right now on Apple TV Plus if you want to check it out. I highly recommend it. Number 6. King of Staten Island. Holy hell, why did no one tell me this movie was so great? Going in, I was thinking this was going to be an aggressively okay flick, but really, this film is such a delightful treat to watch. The characters are effortlessly charming, with Pete Davidson being a surprisingly great lead for the film. I could have never imagined someone from SNL bringing such a funny and emotional core to this. It feels as if everybody in the cast was having so much fun with it. From Frank Murphy character to Randall Boggs guy, they all just had such a blast with this film, and their exchanges between each other bring out some memorable and funny moments. And good god is this film hysterical. I like more than I've ever had in another Judd Apatow's movie since Superbad. And that is high praise right there. If one joke did land for you, there's gotta be five more that will be bangers later on. Even though the drama isn't amazing, I was still invested with the conflict and the emotional core the film was going for. One of the things I adore about this film is that it has a natural flow to the story. Driving the conflict, obstacles, drama, and comedy, it just feels natural in its transition. To be fair, there are a lot of slow patches in the middle of the second act. The editing, for the most part, was awkward, and this is Judd Apatow's weakest direction amongst its other films. But even then, King of Staten Island was a tremendous fun to watch, that will never get old or re to rewatch and rewatch all over again. Number 5 Sound of Metal Dang, this film was such a unique experience. Sound of Metal is probably the objectively best movie of 2020 on this list. The characters are great and compelling, the story is nice, well paced, the direction of writing is well handled and amazing, and yeah, there's not a lot of things to say about this film. I already know this film is one of the greatest in recent years. What really got me interested in this film was its concept of hardcore rock of this hardcore rock and roller losing his hearing and going through these repercussions of it. It all was led by probably the greatest performance outside of Chadwick Boseman's Marady's Black Bottom. Riz Ahmed was very grounded with his performance. Instead of using clever vocal deliveries from the screenplay as the primary like Chadwick's, he used his facial and physical expressions with only the few coupled dialogue moments. But yeah, there's not a lot of things to say about it. It was a very good movie. Uh, just great direction, well written, and a very captivating story to boot it off with just a very strong central performance. Moving on. Number four, Soul. Soul is a very neat or probably flawless film from Pixar's finest, in fact. This is one of the few Pixar movies where I think the film feels explicitly for adults and kids as an afterthought. And it's not, and it's one of the most intellectual animated movies of the century. The, vo the voice cast is really excellent from Fox, Faye, and House being surprisingly perfect for their roles. They bring a ton to their characters, and it's really hard to believe anyone else for the job. 
On top of that, the animation is gorgeously stunning, with the great before being exceptionally colorful and polished. I always I also want to point out that the beautiful molding of 2D and 3D from the Jerry's design to the textures of the souls is also really neat and colorful. Kind of remind me of Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse quite a bit. In addition, I think the emotional beats are really strong. The comedy slaps and the overall message and theme is very well implemented and showcased very carefully. Honestly, my only real issue is that I think the film was a bit too ambitious with its concept of souls in life after death, and the climax is not as emotional toward a forest as I wanted to because it was more intellectual, but it was also very, way more cohesive than the other predecessors like Inside Out and Coco. But that's a minor to what a gorgeous, emotional, and hilarious work of animation has given. Well done, Pixar. Well done. Number three. I'm thinking of ending things. I swear to God, Jesse Plemons looks awfully a lot like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Please tell me, just please tell me he does, I swear. But yeah, holy Hera, this was a trip to behold. On the surface, this film looks and acts very confusing with how Charlie Kaufman writes and directs this film. But just like the saying goes, never judge a book by its cover. This film slowly builds into something more crooked and shocking than when it was first realized. On one hand, the characters will be talking about musicals like that the dinner scene or a magnet covered pig at, and it first feels like just a one note or a one off about the these characters interacting. But it isn't just a one note. They become multiple story beats for different sections of the film. One of the things I adore about Charlie Kaufman as a director than a screenwriter is how he does give you a comfortable realizing story. He doesn't just flow or just tell you how you feel about it. He makes you just think and just take the interpretation of it, which makes him such a unique director to behold. And that's what makes this installment just so magical. This film is very tedious with its extreme slow pace and dull executions, but they are very crucial to Kaufman to what Kaufman wants to build to and open to the viewer's eyes towards. This film isn't as impactful or as memorable as these following top two, but for a movie so disturbing without giving everything away, I can safely say this is the most artistic film of 2020. And I know a lot of people don't love this movie and you are very valid to do so, but I might be the one, or I might be one of many, to think that I'm thinking of ending things is a really compelling, disturbing, and probably Charlie Kaufman's greatest work to date. Number 2. Wolfwalkers I think it's very safe to say that Tom Moore is probably one of my favorite animators ever. His animated features all tell such profound stories of epic Irish myths with rich and endearing characters with the bonus of some gorgeously styled animation. In all honesty, I think Tom Moore is more like an Irish Hayao Miyazaki, always pushing to tell these cool myths and legends from their natural cultures. And with Wolfwalkers, he becomes from a great animator, animating director to a magnificent one, 
Wolfwalkers is so interesting and compelling from both a story and technical standpoint. The animation pops with some beautiful painted backgrounds, textures, and character designs and movements throughout the environments. And it's really nice to see a 2D animated 2D animation to come back after a life facing multiple 3D films. On top of that, the characters are really solid and bring so much to the world and narrative of the story. What I love most about this film is that their distinct personalities and motivations are always different and they all make sense. There's not a single character in this that you don't really hate, even if the villain is represented as this bad person, you understand why he does this stuff. It's, I mean, in a way, I know a lot of people say that it's kind of a knockoff of How to Train Your Dragon, Brave, and Princess Mononoke, and it's kinda true. However, what makes it not a knockoff is that it takes the strong essence of these three movies and then turns it into something new and more layered and structured, to which it becomes its own thing. There's so much to discuss and dissect into this cinematic achievement, and I would do so in a later date, but overall, Wolfwalkers is a new and probably the greatest work for Tom Moore since Song of the Sea. I will cherish this for years to come. Check it out, it's on Apple TV. Number 1. The Trial of the Chicago 7 <clears throat> Okay, so I know a lot of people think that Trial of the Chicago 7 isn't good or just passable. To what I say, what? No. The Trial of the Chicago 7 is really fun and interesting to watch. The characters are all pop and they're super memorable and compelling into their own personal ways. Their actors all bring such to their characters. And that's kind of saying a lot because all of them, there's a lot of people in the cast. From the seven, from the seven accused to the lawyer to the judge. But they all just bring so much and they're so memorable. What I also love about Trial of Chicago 7 is its tight and strict screenplay. Aaron Sorkin made one of my favorite films, The Social Network, with his writing abilities. But this one just feels almost equally to that. The writing and his directorial debut are practically flawless, and it's probably my favorite screenplay of 2020 thus far. I was really invested with all these characters, and it blew my mind that all of them had all come from different worlds of the 60s from hippies to black panthers to the everyday working class white man but they all had a same belief which is very powerful in my opinion i think what i love about this film is also its strong pacing the pacing is almost yeah flawless I love how the way Arid Circuit keeps building and building to more sensational climaxes and areas from the way that they build up the protest to the conflict between the lawyer and Eddie Redmayne's character to just so much more. And finally, I just think that this film also just has probably... Oh, sorry, huh? Yeah, but I think this is also a good way to showcase a lot of seeds and a lot of things that come out in the real world. It also kind of doesn't side with the protesters, even though they kind of do with the judge. This film 
keep saying that if this film people keep saying that this film is all about protesting should be okay but it's really not it showcases a lot about what like the pe the protesters against the cops there's not really a bad person either way one wants to express themselves and become free from some sort of thing they feel oppressed about and the other one's trying to protect and sustain the whole society of the United States and other places. So it's cool to see that this film doesn't really pick a side. Because it's always up to your interpretation of who is the bad person. You know, a lot of people will say the cops, but that's something on a later date. Also, truth be told, most court films get really boring to me if the film just... You know, does it have great acting, great writing, direction, or just has cool motivations for our characters? But this one just slaps with its unique storytelling and shows us pros and cons about protesting the government. If I really had to say one thing I don't like about this film, is that maybe it kinda is too confident with what it wants to be. Maybe like what Soul is a bit too ambitious with its concept. So it's definitely not up there as like the best of the best in my opinion, but it's super close. This is a fun, entertaining, compelling, and just flat out insanely fun, tremendous delight from Aaron Sorkin's catalog. And I highly recommend to anyone who, you know, just wants to see an Aaron Sorkin film soar. <laughs> but yeah. That's all of my films. I will probably refresh this list at a later date. And thank you for watching Nate's Takes. And another episode will be coming in a later future. See y'all later and have an amazing day. Bye.